Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. There's an old Indian proverb that goes something like this. Don't judge a man until you've walked a hundred miles in his moccasins. There's wisdom in those words. It's hard to know a person very well until you've lived under their roof, experienced their life, walked in their shoes. That's perhaps why a parent will sometimes take his or her child along to work, so the child can get to know a little bit more about his mother and father and understand what he or she does. In a way, that's what God does for us in our gospel lesson today. He puts sand in our shoes, gold in our sacks, muscles in our legs, and he gets us to mentally travel hundreds of miles. He does this by giving us a blow-by-blow report of how the Magi went in search of the Christ child. And as we take this journey, we are going to see that our paths are in many ways very similar to that of the wise men. Not only our paths are the same, but also our purposes and many of our obstacles. Matthew starts our epiphany season thusly. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. This tells us two things about the people we are going to follow today. First of all, they were Magi. This was a term given to the wise men and the scholars of ancient Babylon. If you had good knowledge of natural things, whether that be animals, or the land, or the weather, or stars, you were given the name Magi. Back then, it was a very respectable term, something like being called professor. This is why the Magi are called wise men. The text also tells us something else about the Magi. They came from the east. Now, if the Magi were fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 60, which we heard earlier today, then they came from Sheba, which was more than a thousand miles away. But others think that they may have been from Babylon, that is, modern-day Iraq, which would have been about a 500-mile journey. The prophet Daniel was himself a member of the Magi about 500 years before, during the exile of the Jews. Perhaps Daniel was even the one who originally told the scholars of Babylon that there would be a star to point to the Christ. In the book of Numbers it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. Daniel may have been told by the Holy Spirit that a star would appear in the east when the Christ child was to be born, and then he relayed that to other magi. So, the magi may have come from Sheba, or from Babylon, or perhaps somewhere else in the east. Whichever the case is, we know they came from a long way. But we didn't come here today to concentrate on the Magi. We came 
as we always come to concentrate on Christ. And this text gives us a wonderful illustration of how God leads people to Christ, of how God opens closed doors to show us who this baby really is. And that's what Epiphany is all about. It's about illuminating who Christ is and then bringing that light to others. How did God point the Magi to Christ? He did it by a star, we know. He had a special star appear in the sky. Now, if you watch the stars at night for long enough, you'll probably notice how they all move in unison across the night sky. Perhaps this unique star changed positions among the other stars, which made it stand out to the Magi. Maybe this star was lower in the sky than others, or perhaps much brighter. Maybe it was only seen by the Magi themselves, and that is why the chief priests and the teachers of the law didn't know anything about it when the Magi arrived in Jerusalem. But that's all speculation. We really don't know for sure. All we know is that God was able to use nature for his own purposes to lead the Magi to the Christ. And God uses the same methods to draw us to Christ. In Isaiah 60, for example, God looked at the world and said, See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over all the peoples. The whole world lives in darkness. The whole world is born with no clue as to who Christ is or where he can be found. But God piques people's interest by showing them the wonders of his creation. Psalm 19 tells us, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Nature is God's subliminal message. People hear it talking to them every day. And even though nature doesn't tell them anything about the Christ, it does get many of them to wonder about what else God has to say. And so, many of them do go in search of Him. But if you'll notice in our Gospel lesson today, nature didn't give the Magi all of the answers. Once they arrived in Jerusalem, they still had to inquire of the chief priests and of the people of Herod's court. He had to, they had to ask his advisors where the Christ child was to be born. And this is where God took a huge spotlight and made the Christ as visible as possible to the Magi. The words were used from the book of the prophet Micah, chapter 5. They conveyed the location of the Messiah's birth, Bethlehem. Notice, if you will, what God used to make the pathway of Christ clear. He used His Word. Once again, we must take time to appreciate the fact that God has taken us along the same pathway as the Magi. Nature can take us only so close to God, but then its power is inadequate. It leaves us short of knowing who Christ is. And imagine how frustrating it would be for us to know that there is a God out there, but to have no information about where to find Him or who He is.
But God doesn't leave us in the dark. Just as the wise men were led to the Christ through the Scriptures, so we also have been led to Christ through the Scriptures. God has not left us with a vague idea about our Savior. God isn't, as Luke Skywalker would say, just some sort of vague force out there. God has given us a clear pathway to salvation through Christ Jesus, through the Gospel. And so, when we walk the way of the wise men, we can appreciate the way that God has made the light of Christ appear for us. He has made it as clear as He possibly can. Now, even though God gave the Magi a clearly lit path to the Christ child, it wasn't like there weren't any other potholes along the way. Remember, first of all, how far the Magi had to go. If God was leading them to see this baby from hundreds of miles away, they probably thought that they were going to encounter some sort of a big party in Jerusalem over the birth of this king. But what happened once they got there? Instead of being excited, Matthew tells us that when King Herod heard the news, he was very disturbed. Now, the Magi had no sort of clue about what sort of king Herod was. But we know from all the historical accounts. Herod had had some of his very own children put to death so that they couldn't take over his kingdom. He'd spent 30 years fighting the Jews who had been placed under his control because he was the first king of the Jews who was not a Jew himself. So, instead of being excited over the news of the birth of a king, Herod was very disturbed. This was yet another obstacle for the Magi. Herod wasn't the only one disturbed either. Matthew said all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. They knew Herod. They knew what sort of a king he was. And they were certain that the shedding of blood would begin once again. So, instead of being eager to follow the Magi to find the king of the Jews, to follow the Christ child, all of the Jews stayed home in fear of Herod. They pointed the Magi to the exact spot where the Christ child could be found, but they didn't go along themselves. Think of how depressing that might have been for the Magi. Instead of having people rejoicing over the birth of their prophesied king, they were disturbed. They didn't want to come along. But God had the star appear once again and to lead the Magi on. So, by the grace of God, the Magi did go on and they found the Christ child anyway. Don't we sometimes have the same sort of obstacles when we go to seek the Christ child and our King today? Sometimes we can be very influenced by those who are found all around us and how they act. We submit quite easily to peer pressure. It can even work the same way within the church. Visitors and seekers may come to a church expecting to see people on fire for the Lord. They come eager to listen to God's Word. They come eager to grow. And they would expect that the members of the congregation would have that same eagerness. But often it seems they don't find anyone as thrilled as they are. Few show any eagerness to support the church's ministries 
and its mission with their contributions and with effort and time. Some of the members may even seem genuinely negative about their congregation or its leadership. You would expect those who had grown up within the Word to be the most excited to come and worship their King every Sunday. You would expect them to be the most eager to come to Bible class. But sometimes, those who have the greatest opportunity, those who have the fewest obstacles, end up being a stumbling block to new believers. And when these new people come along and they see those who should be the strongest in the faith acting the weakest, it can discourage them and make them take a step back. The Magi had hundreds of miles to travel. They didn't have the heritage and the upbringing in the Word of God like the Jews did. But they were the ones who came to seek the king even when Herod and all the people of Jerusalem were disturbed over the whole situation. And it's so easy for us to follow in the footsteps of those in Jerusalem. Just because we grew up in the Bible and just because we don't have all that far to travel, we can still stumble and fall over the same obstacles. Even though everyone else in the church may not take the opportunities to find out more about Christ, don't let this slow you down. Even though nobody else may get as excited about worship, don't let that hinder you. The light of Christ is shining within the Word of God, right in your house. Open that Word up. The light of Christ is waiting to strengthen your faith. Come, come here and take it. Watch out for those obstacles. But even if everyone else is sitting around, don't let them slow you down. Don't let them get in your way. Finally then, we want to look at why the Magi were so determined to go and see this king. They didn't make any qualms about it. They told Herod when they arrived in Jerusalem, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So once they found this king, they did exactly what they had came for. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. Here they were, grown, educated men. They didn't come to learn more about the movement of this special star. They didn't come to explore the culture of the Jews. They came for one purpose. They came to bow down in worship. Worship of the Lord. They weren't too proud. They actually lowered themselves to this baby and they praised Him. Not only did they open their hearts, they opened their material blessings to the King. That's what they came to do. Compare this, if you will, to Herod's purpose. He may have sounded very genuine when he spoke to the Magi. He said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. He thought perhaps that he could trick these wise men into revealing where the Christ child was. But God knew what was in his heart. All he wanted to do was snuff out the competition. The amazing thing is 
that he did actually believe that there was indeed a king born. For if he didn't believe it, he wouldn't have had all those male children under two years old in the vicinity of Bethlehem slaughtered. But instead of bowing to the king, Herod plotted to murder him. You see then these two different responses to our king today. Some people do go to church every Sunday. They sound very pious. They even believe that Jesus actually existed. Some of them even believe that Jesus died for our sins. But then their pride steps in, just as it did for Herod. They feel threatened when they find out that Jesus came to earn salvation for them. They don't like the idea that they can't do anything to save themselves. They want to be their own king, the masters of their own destiny. Since salvation by faith alone takes the power away from them, they attempt to make Christ a king that fits their own preferences. They tell us that they want to worship Jesus, but then they tell us that we must do something to earn our salvation, at least a little bit. They tell us that Jesus is their Savior, but then they tell us that He didn't do everything necessary to save us from our sins, that we still have to do something more. The true Jesus of the Scriptures threatens them and their self-righteousness. So in a sense, they try to murder Jesus so that they can remain in charge. But instead of being modern-day Herods, we should come with the same purpose as the Magi. We should want to come to Jesus so that we can worship Him for who He is. Why would we want to do this? Well, Epiphany will reveal to us a God who has become man. And as we will hear again in the coming weeks about His mighty miracles, like walking on water and turning water into wine and raising the dead and telling of the future, we certainly should want to turn in praise to God. But more importantly, these accounts will give us a greater appreciation for just how significant the sacrifice was that Jesus made as true God. As Philippians 2 tells us, who being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. God became man for one and one purpose only, to take our place on the cross and to die for us. Therefore, we will want to make our sacrifices to the Lord. We will want to follow in the footsteps of the Magi. We will want to get up and come to worship, walking in the way of the wise men. And the more we see of Jesus' light this epiphany, the more it makes us kneel before Him and His majesty and will want to worship Him. Today we took a trip, a trip with the wise men. It was a dirty trip crossing a desert. It was a difficult, perhaps bumpy trip, whether we walked or rode. It was filled with obstacles and challenges. Yet in the end, through nature and through God's Word, they were led to their Savior and they worshipped Him. To them, 
It was worth it to get sand in their shoes, wind in their faces, and sore feet or backsides. In order to hear about this trip of the wise men, you too got up this morning. You got dressed and you came to church. You came to hear about this journey. And like the wise men, you came to find a king. You came to find Christ. And Christ is here in his word and sacrament. You didn't have to make this trip, but you let the light of the Holy Spirit rule your heart this morning and you decided to come. Perhaps you haven't traveled as far as or as long or experienced the obstacles of the trip that the wise men did. But here you have found the same reward. Here, both human and divine, you have a Savior who lights up the world with his love and with his forgiveness. Does that make the trip worth it for you? I certainly hope that it does. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Amen.